something I shared last night in the Aldershot Church on the call to disciple others. The call to disciple others. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. You've eaten into a lot of my time, Mecca, by the way. I just want to point that out. You know, I mean, what's this? How long have I got? Only two hours? Seriously. Come on. <laughs> All right. I really want to acknowledge Mecca and uh, Nicholas for the great work of leadership that they're providing to you as a church. I think they deserve a hand. Come on, give them a hand. Wow, that's a very powerful hand you're giving them there. Goodness me, don't, don't hold back, seriously. <laughs> but anyway, I really think they're doing a great job. I'm so honored and privileged to work with them. Um, and uh, also Pastor Aisha, I don't know where she's gone. Um, but uh, the job that she has done in handing over to do these two great men is just wonderful. They are a real testimony of what God is doing in Christian Life Fellowship. Um, the next generation of leaders, and we're really privileged to work with them. All right, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. We're talking about the call to disciple others. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Will you please speak to us through your word? Let my tongue be like the pen of a ready writer. Write your words in our hearts today so that we'll be changed to become more like your son, Jesus, our Lord. Amen. All right, so these verses we've read is referred to as the Great Commission. The Great Commission is really the mandate that our Lord Jesus gave to his church before he ascended into heaven. The final days of our Lord on earth were where he instructed his people or his church with what was most important and crucial to him. And in this Great Commission, he tells the church or commissions his church, that is us, the body of Christ, of our mandate, the reason why we are here. Now today, if you look at the church world generally, including our own churches, you will be forgiven to think that the reason why we are here as a church is to have our needs met and to make sure that our lives are much better. You know, we come to church and part of the narrative is that, you know, we want to come to church so that God can minister to us. Now, that is okay, but that's not the reason why we're here. Or why even does this church here exist in Medway? I mean, there are many churches already, and why would we even bother go all the way to Edinburgh to start a church? After all, there are churches there, there are Christians there, so why should we do that? Well, beloved, I want to tell you the reason is because of these verses I've read, the Great Commission. In this Great Commission, our Lord highlights five key things that he uses to empower us to obey it. The first thing is authority. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That is, he has given us the right to go and make disciples. As a child of God, 
I want you to understand that you have a mandate on your life. There is an assignment to your life if you are born again, and that assignment is to fulfill the reason why you are saved. Paul the Apostle said this, that he wants to lay hold of the reason why Jesus Christ laid hold of him. The Lord didn't just save us so that we go to heaven. In fact, heaven is not our final destination. It's our temporary destination. Our final destination as children of God is to be on this earth and is to reign with our Lord Jesus forever. But that's another subject. We were saved and we have been saved and are still here because of this mandate. The mandate to make disciples of others. Now, the first thing is that he gives us authority. How God does it through his church is authority, then outreach, then baptism, then teaching, then presence. These are the five key areas I highlight, and I don't want to go into it, but let me just simply emphasize the point. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore. That means as people of God, we have the authority to go out and make disciples. Once I was with Pastor Martin and a, a church leader, another denomination asked me the question, what right do you have to plant churches? Well, the right I have to plant churches is that I am a disciple of Jesus and I have a mandate on my life to make disciples. And the local church context is the most effective way of making disciples. And beloved, what I'm trying to say to you is that you as a child of God have a mandate, and with that mandate, you have the authority, the right to exercise power. That authority includes being able to exercise power over the enemy, over circumstances, over whatever situations we face, but the primary reason for your authority is not that your life gets better, it's not that your needs are met, it's not that you make more money, it's that so that you are able to make disciples. Then outreach. That's the next strategy. He says, go therefore. Outreach speaks of this. The assignment you have to different ones God brings your way. That word, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That word nations speaks of people groups. So your assignment is to certain kinds of people, but also it is to at different locations. Go to such and such a place. Go to such and such a place. So for you and I, my, your assignment are to people that you are able to reach, people that you wrap shoulders with. It, can, it starts with your own family and your, your neighbors and those you interact with and also wherever God sends you or whoever God brings your way. Then the third element is baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which speaks of the need for anybody who is born again to be plugged into a local church. And the first evidence that you are serious about your Christianity is that you get baptized. You see, let me tell you something. If you've given your life to the Lord Jesus and you are dilly-dallying about baptism, I question the seriousness of your salvation. Baptism is not an option. It's a command. I remember as a new believer being told I needed to be baptized at the age of 16, 17 no, 17, 18. I was 18 then because up until the time I'd been saved, I'd been saved at the age of 16. Up until the time of 18, nobody had told me about baptism. 
Then somebody showed me in the Bible, well, somebody started to tell me, you need to get baptized. I was like, no, 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 man, I'm only 18. If I get baptized, I'm going to become like a monk. You know what I mean? It's like, seriously, then I have to be really serious. Nah, allow that. When I'm 30, then I'll think of baptism. They said, nah, 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 nah. Then they read a passage in the Bible to me, Mark 16, from verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that does not believe will be damned. So, hey. So when I read that, I thought, I was a reluctant um, observer of baptism. I said, well, if Jesus said it, I better do it then. I heard about baptism on Friday, and I was baptized on Sunday because that was the first opportunity I got to be baptized. Not because I was really happy, not because I was really ready, but because the Bible says it. Listen to me. If you are serious about your faith, there are many things you will find in the Word of God that you will not like and that you will not want to do. This, this idea that we only do the things that God's Word tells us to do when we feel ready is a lie of the devil. I said it's a lie of who? The devil. The devil. Yeah. It's a lie. In the word of God, there are many things you will see you will not like. Come on. If you are a single male, hot-blooded person, why wouldn't you want to enjoy a healthy sexual life without any commitment? Why on earth would you want to live a restricted life where you keep yourself until you are married to one person you've never had sex with? Why would you want to do such a thing? But that is the way... Well, what's the problem? You're looking at me like I've said something. <laughs> that that is the way of the kingdom of God. It's not an easy way. It's a difficult way. It's a narrow way. It is a restricted way. And it's not a way that everybody will embrace. Today, the church wants to make it so easy that anything, you don't mention, oh, this is not, hey, be careful. You don't want to offend this one. Look, fornication is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Lesbianism is a sin. Bestiality is a sin. Necrophilia is a sin. Go and check all those uh, big words out and you find out what they're all being. They're just talking about different kinds of sex. They're all sins. Look at you. None of you even said amen. You were just like, is he going to say it? I said it. Let me go through it again, just so that you remember what I said. Fornication is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Lesbianism is a sin. Bestiality is a sin. Necrophilia is a sin. So that we are clear. They're all sins. And anyone who lives that way goes to hell eventually. Now, many Christians do those things. All the things I mentioned, all of them. But they are told it doesn't matter. You know, people can go on about same-sex um, sins, but they don't talk about um, heterosexual sins. They don't talk about that. And a lot of Christians, let me tell you, there is no difference as far as God is concerned. A lot of Christians are indulged in pornography, and they think because I'm not actually doing the thing, it's okay. Yeah, I've gone on a bunny trail today. I'm supposed to talk about how to disciple others. I'm on a bunny trail. But anyway, they're all bad. They will all send you to hell. I'm telling you, pornography will send you to hell if you carry on. You say, oh, it's just the internet. Yeah, it will send you 
to the place of burning fire. Nice good message, though. We've come to encourage the Medway Church. Hallelujah. So, baptism, that's the point. You have to be baptized. If you've given your life to Jesus, I don't even allow you the option of go and think about it. I ask you a simple question. Have you given your life to Jesus? Yes. All right. On this date, we'll be baptizing you. It's like, like bringing up children. You know, today, there's this, there was this foolishness that came in the 60s that really said you mustn't tell children what to do. You have to do what? Negotiate with children. Try and negotiate with your four-year-old why they shouldn't eat a sweet and see how far it gets you. Try and negotiate with your seven-year-old with why they shouldn't have crisp in the morning and see how far it gets you. <laughs> there are some things you don't negotiate. You declare you're not having it. End of story. And in the kingdom of God, it's the same. There are certain things, I don't care how old you are, how big you are, how intelligent you are, they are called sins. And there are certain things that are righteous. And there are certain things that are demanded of believers in Christ. But today, because we've got this nice pop Christianity, where we like to tell people what they want to hear, we don't tell them the truth. And so they remain in bondage. I pray that will not be your portion in Jesus' name. So anyway, baptism, it speaks of the need of you to be plugged into a local church. Every child of God needs to be part of a local church. Then the next area is teaching. He says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, which really is you as a child of God pouring out to people what you've received from the Lord. And then he says, lo, I'm with you always, presence. God's strategy in partnering with us as we obey this mandate. Now, this is the Great Commission. I've just summed it up briefly. But now I want to talk to you very briefly on how you can disciple others. Question I want to ask you, as long as you've been a, a Christian, how many disciples do you have? How many disciples? How many of you, since you've been born again, know you have discipled people? You, you, you have discipled Jack, Jill, James, Johnny, um, Freddie, Philia, whatever her name is. You've discipled people. How many? Can I see? Okay, only one tentative, one or two hands. One did it like this, and one did it like this. And another one did it like this. I said they're praying for someone. Mm. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Okay, let me ask you another question. How many of you have won someone to Christ before? How many? <laughs> a, bit, a bit more eagerness. Mm. Okay, how many of you would like to win someone to Christ? How many of you don't care? You just don't care. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. Right. Well, let me ask you a question. As a child of God, what kind of fruit are you bearing? Look at what our Lord says in John chapter 15, verse 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. Sorry, I think it's 15. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you may, uh, no, 16, 16, that's the one, yeah. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go, or appointed you in this version, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. Now, 
Here's the question I want to ask you. What kind of fruit is our Lord asking us to bear? What kind of fruit? Who wants to venture? If you've heard me say it, don't say it and spoil the fun. What kind of fruit? Anyone? Yes? Discipleship. You see, look, look at him. Discipleship. You see, you didn't even say it properly because you, 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 you've heard me say it before. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes, sister. A fruitful fruit. That's a good, that's a smart answer. A fruitful fruit. Thank you, sis. Bless you. Fruit of the spirit, good answer. Anyone else want to venture? Souls, fruit of souls. Good, 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 good. Anyone else? One more. Want to try? Nobody else want to try. Okay. Yes, sir. The word in the Bible. Thank you. Good, good, good contribution. Well, they're all good. Now, let me ask you another question. What kind of fruit do apples Apple trees produce apples, yeah? Apples do not produce bananas, do they? And what about um, olives? What do they pro- olive trees? What do they produce? Okay, fine. So, what kind of fruit will a disciple tree produce? Exactly. So, the fruit that our Lord is referring to is the fruit of disciples. Very important point. Now, look at. Verse 8 of John 15. Look at verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. You bear much fruit so you will be, or you demonstrate yourselves to be my disciples. So, what I want to stress to you is this. It's good you're saved and you're going to heaven, but it is not enough if you are serious about following the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're serious about following the Lord Jesus, then he's looking for fruit in your life which equals disciples through your life. Fruit in your life which equals disciples through your life. So the question How many people have you discipled? It's a very important question. It's a very important question. It's a very serious question. Because I want to submit this to you. That this mandate of fulfilling the Great Commission to make disciples is the key for any born-again Christian who is serious about becoming all that God has ordained them to be. Whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a homemaker, a a teacher, a a janitor, whatever vocation you are called to, whatever you're doing, whether you're a student or you're a mature person, if you are born again and you know Jesus Christ, then your primary assignment with your abilities and your opportunities and your resources is so that through you, directly, disciples are being made. Beloved, when our Lord said this, no man can serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other. You will despise one and honor the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's so true. Because I have observed this in many of God's precious people. That it is one thing for them to get up and go to work and 
and do business and study in order to make a career because the end result is what? The ka-ching. But when it comes to the same energy that they give to the mandate of God to make disciples, if they even gave a tenth of that kind of energy to it, our church will be different. Our churches will be different. Come on, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself in how, for instance, how you pass an exam. Look at how you focus. Look at how you study. Give the word of God half of that diligence and see how you will become. Look at how punctual you are when you start a job. How focused you are when you're doing your job. What's the end game? Money. Morale. Cash. That's the end game. I don't care what people tell me. It's money. They may say, no, 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 it's the love. I do it for the love of my vocation. Me, as a pastor, it's because I love people. Don't pay him and see what will happen. Let the pay be deducted. I mean, you medical people, you know, you, you, it's a vocation. You know, you do it because you love people, which is true. But let's duck your pay and see how it affects you. Today, you know, some of you were on strike the other day. I mean, why? Because you feel 1% is an insult and it's not real, blah, blah. Which is fair enough. My point is, you, this issue of either God or money is so poignant. It's so true. Even though we tend to think, nah, as for me, I don't care about the money. I don't care about the money. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> even your tithe, even your tithe, tithe is an issue. Just in case you don't know what a tithe is, let me just break it down. You see, because, you know, sometimes people don't know. It's 10% of your income. The money you earn, you give 10% of that away. So we're clear, to the church you go to. I wish it was to the pastor who's your pastor. That would be really good. But it's not. It's to the church you go to. Sometimes some people think they're giving it to the pastor. Actually, you're giving it as part of your worship to God. You're demonstrating that God owns everything you own. I don't believe in tithing. Wonderful. Then even give more then. Give more. You see, you start talking about money. Ah, money. Not. I brought a visitor. He's talking about money. Yeah. The visitors also need to give money to God. Everybody. Thank you. Everybody needs to do it. So the point is, the point is, I'm not holding back. I'm not holding back today. I'm not holding back. <laughs> I haven't been here for a long time, so hey, you know, let me, let me, you know, release it there, and then they won't invite me for a while. <laughs> All right. So I'm stressing the point about discipleship because you need to understand how our Lord said it. He said it like this. If anyone does not hate, this is the words of Jesus, does not hate father, mother, brother, sister, husband, wife. Yes, his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Not that he will not. He cannot be my disciple. And then he says, if, you, anyone, if, if anyone is not willing to deny himself and take up his cross, he cannot be my disciple. Now, you say, why is that? Because discipleship will make demands on you that includes your own life. 
When you seek to be a disciple of Jesus, I'm not talking about being a disciple of Pastor Joe or CLF. I'm talking about being a disciple of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, as revealed in the scriptures. When you seek to follow him wholeheartedly, there will be all kinds of challenges on you. There will be challenges in your relationships because there will be times you have to choose between that relationship and Jesus. There will be challenges on your finance. There will be challenges on your health. There will be challenges in your career, in the direction of your life. There will be all kinds of challenges. Sometimes you'll be misunderstood. You'll be misrepresented. You'll be abused. People will take the birdies with you. And now they'll take advantage of you. People will do all kinds of things because of your identification with Jesus Christ. And if you seek to be his disciple, you must be willing for all of that. In fact, you must embrace it. But today in our churches, I can only speak for CLF in particular, we find ourselves at times trying to find out what is the least area of resistance we can give to the Lord. So, so oh, does it, is it true? It doesn't matter if I come early or late, I'm still loved by Jesus. Oh, thank God, then I can come late. This is not just a problem in the Medway church. This is a problem in all our churches. So, we, and, and I'm, I'd rather you come late than don't come at all, but we just walk in, you know. Where's my chair? No sense of, oh, Father, forgive me for coming late. Meanwhile, if it's, if it's work, ha, you are joking. The way we will run to make sure we're on time. When we get the... Hi, boss, hi. But the house of God, oh, because after all, God loves us, it doesn't matter. At least I'm here. At least I made it. There is something wrong with that. Or you don't think so? Look, the, the, the Muslims are willing to blow up themselves and go to hell. They think they're going to heaven, but they're going to hell. Right? And kill people. Now, we don't have to blow up ourselves. I mean, we thank God. Our faith, if you kill yourself, you're in trouble. Or you kill anyone, you're in trouble. We thank God for that. Ours is a very peaceful one. You can insult Jesus all you like and nobody will slap you. Go and insult Muhammad and see how far that gets you. You know, our faith is wonderful. You, with our faith, you know, you can just say any old rubbish about our Bible, our faith, and nobody will just be praying for you. God have mercy. Try with the Islams and see how far I get you. Tell them their Quran is rubbish and see how far. Tell them about their prophet and see how far I get you. But they're willing to do that. And look at us. Any small demand that the word of God makes, this is heavy. This is heavy. People will leave here and say, God, that was a condemning message. They'll come and say to me, see, that was powerful. By that they mean that was really painful. <laughs> it's not, what's painful? You want to know painful? An email I got the other day is painful. I think I shared it with you. An email I got, awful email, where believers in northern Iraq, the children... The, the Islamists are going there, ISIS are going there, and what they're saying is they're running all the children out and they're saying to the children, deny Jesus and convert or you die. They're leaving the adults, they're leaving the parents, they're going to the children. And in that particular village, not one child converted and all of them were killed, beheaded. 
And when I saw this, this was when I was in India, I was weeping. I said, Lord, I don't even know how to pray for this situation because they were asking for prayer. I said, Lord, how do I pray? How do I pray? And the Spirit said to me, pray that their faith will not fail. Not pray that ISIS will, will go or that the thing will turn. He said, pray that their faith will not fail. And then I began to think of my children. How would they do if they had the gun on them? How am I bringing up my children so that if their faith was contested, they'll be willing to die for their faith? How am I, what kind of Christianity am I modeling for the church so that we'll be willing to die for our faith? We've become so monetary oriented. The prosperity message has become so twisted that instead of it being prosper for disciples, it's being prosper for your belly and for more money. Prosper for a bigger house. Prosper for a bigger car. Prosper. It's just so nauseating. There is no difference between that and those in the world. There is no difference. Everybody wants to make more money, but what's the reason? What's the reason? It's rubbish. So that kind of thing, when you face a gun to your head, deny Christ or die. Who's Christ? What are you talking about? Deny Christ? I'm a Muslim man. What are you talking? Allah. That's what we do. What do you mean deny Christ? I don't know. What? That church? Well, that, no, they're rubbish. I don't, I don't, what, what's a Christian? Who? No, 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 never heard of them. Never. Me? No, I believe in them. Salam alaikum, salam. That's what we'll do. That's what we'll do. Or, if we happen to lose loved ones because of their faith for Christ, our faith for Christ, Christ will say, where was God when I needed him? That's Western Christianity. Where was God? If God loves me, if God is a God of love, why did he allow it? That's Western Christianity. Another one I, I read, I saw this preacher, he had three children, two boys and a girl. And his wife, he left them and went and preached. This is in Syria. Went and preached. When he came back, the Islamists had killed them and laid them out, said, because you went to preach. So, so he's weeping, and then the news reporter asked him, are you going to go and preach now? And his answer was, what else do I have? And all I could see was Aish and my, my children lying there, and I thought, how would I respond? Beloved, we are called to a different life. I haven't really gone into my message. We're called into a different life. And we're not called to this self-serving, self-seeking, consumer, uh, money-oriented, materialistic mindset that we think validates our faith. Who is being saved as a result of our lives? Who is coming into the kingdom as a result of the way we live? How are people being healed and delivered and br brought to a place of reality in God because we're walking the earth? Beloved, when you stand before the Lord Jesus, I guarantee you, you would say, you'll be looking for the fruit of souls, not the fruit of finance. I guarantee you, you'll be looking for the fruit of of Christ-centeredness in your life, not how much you were able to do or accomplish. Accomplishments only have meaning when it's through the lens of our Lord Jesus Christ and bring him glory. 
I conclude with this because I don't have time. And that is this. If you are serious about obeying the call to make disciples, the first thing I want to challenge you with is have a goal, a vision for discipling others. Have a vision for discipling others. Let me tell you, there is always somebody who is less fortunate than you when it comes to their faith. There's always somebody who knows less than you. There is always somebody who needs your testimony, who needs to know what it's like to have a bondage in their life. Today, Christians like to lie about their past. Oh, as for me, you know, uh, you know since I came, oh, they like to lie about their present, I beg your pardon, about their current faith in Christ. So, so they share their testimony like this. You know, since I became a Christian, everything is fine. You know, I have no problems. I have, I have no challenge. And it's a lie. You're addicted to porn. You're lying. You're addicted to, to other things. You're lying. We make up these lies in the name of a good testimony. We tell people, as for me, since I came to Christ, you know, I put God first. It's a lie. It's not even true. How many Christians really put God first? If, if and most of us put God first, if five of us in this room, I'm telling you, put God first, we would feel it. Well, because we come and do the worship? What, because we are the preachers? What, because we, we help with our stream? Is that what we put God, is, that's putting God first? Are we having a laugh? Who's ever watched Express? Express, Ruby T. Gervais. Okay, no, forget it. There's this um, sitcom they did. Having a laugh? No. <laughs> okay, fine. Okay, fine. Forget it. It's like a joke. We say things that is not even true. So a person will share their testimony like this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is testimony time. <laughs> you know, since I started coming to this church, everything seems to just fall in place. And it's not true. Since you start coming to this church, you lost your friends. You get depressed because now, you, excuse me, and I'm just going to say it again, you're not having sex because now you're, you're single and you're frustrated. You know, most of the time you're depressed and so forth. And, but, praise the Lord, you know, since I started coming to church, everything's so beautiful. You know. Oh, I just thank the Lord and, you know, and it's not even true. You're lonely. You're sad inside. Rather than saying, you know what? Since I gave my life to Jesus, it's hell. Because let me tell you, when I gave my life to Jesus, it was rubbish afterwards. The first two years was hell. The next two years were very difficult. And after that, it got better. But I'm telling you, after I gave my heart to Jesus, my life was rubbish. I was so frustrated. Before I gave my life to Jesus, I could swear and it wasn't a problem. I could just insult people and I felt good afterwards. I could, you know, do all kinds of naughty things that young boys do and not feel bad at all. Then I gave my heart to Jesus. And the next day, as I was doing the naughty thing that young men do, I thought, oh, no, I can't do this anymore. Oh, no. Oh, no. And that was torment. So now I have to struggle trying to not do it. Then I do it. Then I feel bad. Then I don't do it. Then I feel... But then I come to church, testimony time. Praise the Lord. And as soon as I gave my life to Jesus, I'm living in walking in victory. It's a lie. It's not true. So you don't tell people the truth. Your marriage is going down the tube and you don't tell people the truth. No, as for me, nobody can speak into my business. So your marriage is going down the tube. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It's really good. Since I came to this church, it's really good. Because now your wife doesn't go to church or your husband doesn't go to church, you go to church or they don't like your church 
and there's, there's this tension. But praise the Lord, since I came to Christ, everything's good. It's really beautiful. You know, and, uh, everybody sees you, says you've really changed. Yeah, they say you're really weird. You're not fun anymore. And so we don't tell the truth. And then one day, that same person who gave a glowing testimony disappears and don't want any of us to contact them again. <laughs> and we wonder why. Because they've been living a lie. And we have been enjoying the lie. But what I've discovered is if you want to disciple people, you must embrace a vision to help those who need your help. Those people that I have discipled, they know my weaknesses. I've been very transparent with them. I've helped them along the way. I've showed them how difficult it gets, all kinds of struggles they've gone through, all the areas that I've mentioned, any of the areas I've mentioned, we've gone through all of that with people. And so they have grown to become stronger. Not all that I've discipled have remained, but most of them have. And what I'm trying to say to you is have a vision to disciple others because there was always somebody who was less fortunate than you are. There's always somebody who needs your input. And you may say, but they're not in this church. Of course they're not. You need to reach out to them. You need to pray that God will bring them your way. We have more to say about this. Well, the Lord bless you. Now let's pray. I want to pray and I really want to challenge all of us today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you are here and uh, you feel the challenge in your heart to commit to discipling others and you are saying to God, you know what, Lord, I am willing. I don't even know how to do it. But I'm going to be praying that you give me a vision to disciple others. And I want to have that vision in my heart that captures me to disciple others. If that is you, I want you to stand where you are because I want to pray with you before I hand back to Mecca. If you are saying that you want to embrace the vision to disciple others, I want you to stand where you are. As you stand, I want you to raise your two hands to the Lord. And I want you to voice to him what's in your heart, what you're saying. You're saying, Lord... I hear your word. You feel like God speaks to you. And you're saying, Lord, I hear what you're saying, and I'm saying yes to what you're saying. I want to commit my life to discipling others. I want to help people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and help them grow and become strong in their faith. If that is you, stand where you are. Father, as these ones are standing right now, I ask for a fresh touch of your spirit upon them. I ask for a new revelation of your call on their life. I ask that the eyes of their heart will be opened, that they will understand and they will know why you call them and what you're calling them to do. I pray for strength. I pray for grace. I pray for a fresh touch upon them. In the name of Jesus Christ, may your life never be the same. May you be transformed by zeal and fire and a hunger and a passion and a love for Jesus Christ. That love will so change you that you will change others. May you begin to have a new encounter with the Lord Jesus that will cause you to be a beacon of light to many. And through you, many will come to know Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Lord bless you. You may take your seats.